I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spurs are a team that Villa should be targeting. And think, think about the options the top teams have. This is Spurs. They're not even that fucking good. They've got Lo Celso, Ali, Ndombele, Son, Bale, Kane, Lamella, Bergwin, Mora. They're all fucking brilliant. Jesus. Villa have Watkins and Grealish. <laughs> yeah. And we're wondering about whether or not we should sign one more. Of course we fucking should. Get him, man. Get it done. Hi, guys. Jack Grealish here. Uh, delighted to say that I've signed a new deal with Aston Villa. What a night. Aston Villa were class. One of the best performances of the season. Ross Berkeley was fucking brilliant. James Rodriguez would rather pretend like he's injured and face Matt Target. Martin Keown was, conspir- <laughs> was confirming conspiracy theories from back in February that Jack Grealish had a stress fracture. It was all going on. And Amar Ghazi won a header. He won a header. And not only that, it was that bad a header. He went back up and won it again for the second time. This El Ghazi boy, he is hilarious. I mean, laugh out loud, side splitting, hilarious. Like, I'm crying for him there to come off at one stage. And then he just does something so easily like that. That you actually start wondering, why was the whole game plan not just around El Ghazi? <laughs> Like, there, there's, there's nothing I love more on this earth than Amwar El Ghazi sticking his hands out, presenting himself to the world, nodding knowingly, just safe in the knowledge that people are finally seeing what he knows all along, that he's a fucking legend. And like, yet again, he comes up with the goods and Aston Villa get a massive result away to Everton off the back of a great performance. Good night, Liam. It's about time we were, we were owed one. 
It, it was indeed, yeah. It was absolutely brilliant. What a performance. And El Ghazi, yeah, the man who's so good who doesn't even bother celebrating screamers. And I, I think I said it to you before, and I think you've mentioned it on this podcast, as frustrating as El Ghazi is and as much as he won't be in the game for 30 games of the season, for those all or eight games, boy, does he fucking bring it. And it always means he's got really good numbers and outputs if you're a stats man at the end of the season because... For a winger, El Ghazi scores a lot of fucking goals and they're commonly very good as well. I saw a list of the people that he scored more goals on this season and honestly, it's it's absolutely it's absolutely frightening. Listen to this for a for a who's who a who's who of players who are worse than El Ghazi. Timo Werner, Neto, Firmino, Richardson, De Bruyne, Grealish. <laughs> Mount, Pulisic, Abraham, Bale, Martial, Greenwood. There's probably way more than I'm leaving out, but that, that's just a tweet I saw. Like, th- these are the numbers that El Ghazi's putting up, and it does go to show you, like, you know, one of the, the whinges that I quickly scored off the list was just get Jacob Ramsey on now, for fuck's sake. You know, mm. I wanted a change. I thought there was no reason for Ramsey not to come on. El Ghazi, you know, wasn't doing much. He wasn't doing anything bad, particularly, but he wasn't great. And that was the change to make in my mind. And then, you know, Ramsey's not doing anything like that. The good young fella who's got a lot of promise, but he's not delivering that late on against Everton away from home. El Ghazi is, and El Ghazi knows he can do that. That's the best about it. Well, that's it, yeah. And the the, the other players you left off that list was the entire Villa squad, other than their centre forward. And <laughs> yeah. let's let's not go let's not go too overboard though. Like you know, let, let's be honest here. I mean. Jordan Pickford is is every lad's Tinder profile. Like his his little blurb or his bio looks great. He's an England international. He costs twenty five million. He's like he's got a really well curated selection of photos of spectacular saves, and we we saw a lot of that tonight as well. <laughs> but don't swipe right. He, he's an arsehole. <laughs> his bio, his photos, they're a lie. Like, don't fall for it. You, you can't see his tiny little arms. Yeah, he's obviously not going to post his litany of cock-ups on his own profile. It's a con. <laughs> Don't fall for it. And look, as good as the goal was, it was a long way from the top corner. I mean, a long way. It was as far from the top corner as Jordan Pickford's tiny little T-Rex arms were from the ball. <laughs> it's interesting because I was thinking, I cannot believe that Jordan Pickford is having one of these games against us. Like, every time you watch Pickford, he's normally shit. But he was pulling out a few, like... I think a lot of the finishes could have been better. We'll get to those later. But, you know, a couple of good saves. He was good in the air for some fucking reason. And um, even though, like, he seemed to be playing, like, <laughs> do you know one of those computers? Like FIFA, when you're playing on the PlayStation, and it's like your control pad's jammed and the triangle button's stuck. So your keeper will always just come running out <laughs> without your control. <laughs> like, that was how Jordan Pickford was playing. But even at that, he wasn't being punished. And he looked largely safe, apart from apart from that sort of anomaly in his game, but yeah. You just have to wait for it. That's it. That's what Jordan Pickford, you just have to wait. The cock-up is coming. Do not worry about it. It doesn't (laughs) matter how many spectacular saves. He'll he'll put all those mistakes. They'll they'll be worthless because of all the mistakes that are going to come. The saves are pointless. Well, Holgate made the biggest mistake of all, and that was dicking around when Ollie Watkins is in the vicinity. Like... Let's talk about Ollie Watkins. This guy is, you know, I you can't get sick of talking about him. I think he gets better as the season goes on. And this was like one of those games where 
everybody in the Villa team realised, you know, we don't have Grealish, but fuck, I forgot that we've had one of the best strikers in the league all along up top. Why don't we just play him the ball over and over and see what happens? And he fuck, he dominated that match. Like, it was unbelievable. Like, this is another one of those ones where we were saying <laughs> for a few months, because Southgate was going to so many Villa games, it's like, if he doesn't pick Watkins, like, that's crazy. And then he did pick him, and then he scored against San Marino. But he, Southgate, again, is at that match, and the, the commentators and the cameramen love to tell us that. But, like, this was just another level up again. I thought, like, Watkins completely controlled that match. He was involved in everything. It gave absolutely everything that you want any centre forward to ever give. And, um, yeah, like, if he's not if he's not going to the Euros, and I mean, like, I don't even care now that it's an extended squad, but if he's not going when it was 23, like, that would be crazy. I don't want to turn this into an England chat. Watkins is fucking brilliant. Yeah, I was I was beginning to think there was there was more than one Gareth Southgate. I mean, he gets to an awful lot of matches, to be fair to him. I know what you're thinking. It's his job, and it would be class to do it, so of course... It is a lot. It. Yeah, but, you know, and also who the fuck would clone Gareth Southgate? But <laughs> Watkins, he's just some lad, and as soon as I saw Holgate take a touch, I was thinking, oh, Mason, I don't know, I don't know about this. Mason, what have you done? Like, I haven't seen anyone shit themselves that much since since Jed Steer stared down Mason Holgate in the playoff semifinals. <laughs> it was an absolutely terrible decision because you could tell from the very first moment of the game that Ollie Watkins was on it. He was relentless. He was closing down. The Everton backline was far too static for a player like Ollie Watkins to be t- just to be up top. He's so easily taking advantage of it. He was just running the channels. He was being allowed to go. He was he was a nightmare for them, and yeah, he got his goal. And it was well deserved. I still think, I think it was close to a perfect performance, but it wasn't perfect. I think if he just takes one more of those chances, and I know they weren't all guilt aids, but if he takes one more, gets the two goals, I'm coming away from that tonight, actually proclaiming him as the best striker England have. <laughs> I don't want to hear about Harry Kane. But um, it just yeah, I think he, he, sh- he should have scored one more of them. Yeah, I don't think any of them were particularly clear cut, and I do I do think Jordan Pickford made a lot of brilliant saves. And the, the one off his knee he improvises really well when the ball drops drops at a weird height for him, and he gets the shot away, and it's an incredible save from Pickford. Pickford's off his line, like you said, the the triangle button's just been jammed in so quickly for so many of those one on ones. Yeah, like ah, no, like Watkins was absolutely incredible. Do you know who else was incredible? Ross Barkley. Ross Barkley was incredible. Now, it does come with a caveat. I blame him for the Everton goal. And I know we're going to get back into the zonal discussion, but like that that's Barkley's fault. Like there's no way like that's targeted. Villa have their big center halves in the six yard box. So what Everton do is whip the ball right around the corner, like right around beyond the six yard box or into the far side of it where they can just expose Calvert-Lewin on Barkley, who, like, you know, I don't know what he's looking for. Like, the ball's in a static position on the corner. You know where it is. And he's finding himself looking around to see where the ball's at. It's in the corner. Like, that's where it's been taken from. It's going to be crossed in from there into the box. Keep an eye on your man. And he loses him far too easily. And it's a goal. Like, look, I'm, I'm going to get to how good Barkley was in a second, but I blame him for that goal. 
Look, to be fair to Barkley, I think he was caught in two minds. He couldn't decide if he wanted to give away a penalty or if he wanted to give Dominic Calvert-Lewin a free header at the back post. <laughs> it was, of course the goal was his fault. He was a fucking mess. He didn't know where the ball was being taken from. It was taken from the corner, like you said. He didn't know where Dominic Calvert-Lewin was, even though he had his fucking hands wrapped around him. What are you doing? Put a bit of pressure on him. I think it was terrible from Barkley for the goal. Absolutely dreadful. And it was one of those ones where I thought, like, you know, we're just wasting the end of our season on a, a player who's on loan from Chelsea, just trying to get him back in the form for what, to, to increase their values for when they sell him to Newcastle? Like, <laughs> what, what do we have the game by playing him? But then he played his way back into the match. I, I, in my head, I was comparing it to to Nyland playing last year. I was like, this is reckless. This is going to cost us. And it did cost us for that goal. Um but it definitely wasn't as bad as the night end effect. Well, not tonight anyway. And what he did tonight was, uh, I don't, I don't want to say he didn't force it because he, he did force it in really good ways a lot of the time, but it was just in the right place. Like it came deep at the right time. It wasn't coming deep needlessly. And when he did come deep and got in the ball, he did some move it. Like he just wasn't standing alongside Douglas Louise and playing it to Kanza. He was turning and then trying to find McGinn, who was seemed to be dovetailing well with him. It was like if Barkley comes deep, McGinn will go forward. Or Barkley was turning and running with it before laying it out to one of the wingers. Um, his decision making was just way better. He wasn't getting caught in the ball. Sometimes maybe I thought like you know just take a touch and have a look, but it decided like you know if I'm in a tight area, I'm going to play one touch passing, and it worked out well for him for the most part. And uh, he looked dangerous again. It looked like a Ross Barkley that. You know, we thought we might have had for the first four games, maybe. Like, and I know that they were patchy games, but they were always dangerous and he was always creating chances, and that's what he was doing tonight. Yeah, Ross Berkeley was good, and we 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 said that eight months ago when we last said it when he was good. <laughs> but, like, he, he did some very good things on the ball. He, he lost it a few times, and sometimes it was really frustrating and sloppy, but that's okay. Yeah. He lost the trying things. That's what he's supposed to do. He's playing in a number 10 position. He was massively helped by playing against a team like Everton, who were playing two holding midfielders who had no interest in going forward, which meant that Ross Barkley could just fart around from a defensive setup and he had nobody to worry about. He had no runners to worry about. That definitely helped him tonight. But on the ball, no, he was good. He, he was on it. He was trying things. He was running with it. He was skipping past lads for fun at times. His feet were quick. Yeah, he had a really good, really good game. Dean Smith said before the match that the West Brom game signaled that they were going in the right direction without Jack Grealish. He said that it was the record amount of touches they had in the opposition box since they got promoted to the Premier League. And I, I part of me was like, oh, you know, it was against West Brom, but you know, it's still a record. They played a lot of shit teams over the last two seasons. And they did that in the last game. And even though it was a draw and it was a late draw as well, it was hard to sort of see the positive signs in it. I thought, you know, just listening to him before that match tonight when I was expecting another draw or defeat against Everton. But it was sort of candy fruition. But I'm still in two minds where it's like Villa played really well. Definitely the best I've seen them since (laughs) since the first half of the Burnley match. But also, yeah, you mentioned it there. Everton weren't great wordy like it's it's the most space i've seen villa have all over the pitch you're, you're talking about barkley but i've never seen villa come out from defense so easily um D- douglas so was actually frustrating in that 
he was playing these one-touch passes back to the center halves, mm-hmm. you know, when the ball was being rolled to him from Martinez, but there was nobody near him. All he had to do is turn around or have a look, and they were just, uh, they looked like a team here on the beach. Like, they looked very casual, and there looked like loads of space for everything Villa wanted to do. The, the game was like a, a drunken punch-up at a wedding. I mean, when when, the, when these two teams showed up at the start of the season in their tuxes, they, they looked great. They, they were sharp. They were confident. They were having a good time. They were tearing it up on the dance floor. All their teams were looking on jealously from the tables that are bunched up and pushed to one side. Villa and Everett were just on it at the start of the season. And then they both massively dipped. I mean, they've just been embarrassing themselves for the last couple of games, just getting more and more pissed, hanging out with a wrong crowd. That Barkley fella is a bad influence. <laughs> and just we're at that stage now where it's just two loudmouths giving it the big in at the end of the night. And do you know what? It's fucking entertaining. We all love watching it. We're all voyeurs. We all love a car crash. And we're all secretly upset when it gets broken up. Even the two big sober boars, Carlo and Dean, the other halves in this fucking tortured analogy, just let them at it. Sick of them at this stage. They, they knew they would just punch themselves out and wake up in the corridor the next morning because they couldn't remember the room number. They wouldn't even be able to use the fucking key card anyway, the idiots. But that's just what it was. The two teams were just let off the leash and they were just doing whatever they wanted, it seemed at times. Do you remember the scene in Dazed and Confused? If anybody hasn't seen it, they should they should watch it. It's it's brilliant film. But um, it's the guy that they they get to that party by the beach at nighttime, and one of the loser guys. It's the guy who plays Eddie and Friends. I can't remember the actor's name. It's not a film podcast, so I'm not going to worry about it. But it, they're walking past this group of guys, and he just turns to his friends like, "Oh, smell weed," and then <laughs> one of the boys comes over and pushes him, and he's like, "What you fucking say?" It's like, no, I was just saying I could smell weed. And he's like, well, I'm fucking smoking weed. You got a problem with that? And, uh, you know, but that's it really. Man just humiliates him, pushes him again. His friends are laughing. And then for the rest of the night, this guy can't let it go. You know, he's just been so embarrassed by it all. Like he's been, been made a beta meal out of this guy, basically in front of all the school, the school children. And it, it can't, it, it just can't stop obsessing over it and how, like, how you let that happen. So then he's talking about, like, I'm going to go and get some revenge. Like, you know, I know this guy can beat me up, but, you know, if I throw the first punch, everybody will break it up then. I'm, I might get one punch, but everybody will come along then and break it up. There's loads of people around. So he finally builds it up. Can't let it go. Goes over, fucking smacks the guy who then proceeds to jump on top of him and beat the living shit. <laughs> and everybody gathers around and starts cheering. <laughs> and he just keeps pummeling him and nobody breaks it up. It's amazing. That is Aston Villa and Everton. <laughs> and Villa are the fucking arsehole in this analogy. <laughs> yeah. Let's do a quick whinges and then we'll move on to the categories. This is Paul McGrath. You're listening to the Villa Podcast. What's up, Winges? I've got three. First one. Just take a normal touch of the fucking ball. Big old John McGinn, one assumes. <laughs> it sure was. It sure was. Like, you know, just... Him, like, Bertie T's and all other one as well. Like, sometimes sometimes you just have to take a touch of the ball. You know, you don't have to... Like, Bertie T, in fairness, is always trying to sort of think of how how can I like, basically do what he did there to set up El Ghazi you know how, how can I play this ball five meters in front of myself to then find space or, or give it to somebody else or take mm. somebody out of it 
But McGinn, yeah, just sort of McGinn was good tonight. I thought, but he just still frustrates me sometimes by like you know letting the ball come right underneath his body and then sticking his arse out and yeah, yeah and just wasting a few more seconds of our lives that we don't need wasted. Yeah, and he ends up playing the pass that he could have just played if he was standing up straight. I mean, <laughs> like coming back to it again, Sigurdsson, Allen, and Gomez isn't a good midfield. They're massively missing to Corey. They're just too slow and ponderous and. There's no energy about them. Those three players, they're they're, they're not at the races. They're, they're not able to play against John McGinn and Ross Barkley whenever he's running at them. And they were they were all over the place. And John McGinn had a good game tonight, but that was enabled by Everton's midfield. And there was just about a key one that sticks out in my mind was Matt Cash played him. Matt Cash came bombing forward like he did all night, and he played Ferrari down the right wing because it was the first time Ferrari actually showed down the right wing. And then he just, I don't know what he was trying. He just, his touch, like the, the ball had no pace on it. So it wasn't like a difficult touch or anything. He was running towards it. The ball was in behind. And then he just like, you know, he, he always tries to like flick it or scoop it or do something. And he just kicked it out for a throw in. I was like, what the fuck was that? You know, sometimes, sometimes you can just touch the ball and get, and get control of it. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to get onto his left as, the earliest opportunity there. He was trying to back heel behind his body. It was it was absolutely dreadful. But there's one thing about Bertie T that is just so every time he gets the ball, he's trying to face up to the goals. Yeah. Like no matter what position he's in, he, he has a look to see if he can do something ridiculously dangerous instantly. And very few people do that. He gets the ball and he's turning already to, to face the goals. It's it's an incredible attribute for him to have and it speaks of his confidence on the ball. But also his ability, his touches are incredible. I mean, the pass he played inside, or the touch he had before he played the ball to Barkley for the shot off the post, so few players could do that at that speed and to not even have to break stride afterwards. It was, he's, he's just an unbelievably talented player. If only he was good at the sport, we'd have something there. <laughs> I thought he was excellent in the first half, well, for most of the first half, and then well, I think he went off a cliff in the second half and then produced that nice assist then for El Ghazi. Um, but we'll talk about him a bit more later. I've got a second WhatsApp winch. Free kick in the centre circle. I do not want my Brazilian centre midfielder lumping it into the corner. <laughs> that, that's the, that's why having a Brazilian centre midfielder is good. Surely he gets on the ball, gives it to McGinn and gets it back. Let's go. But, <laughs> you know, like That's pure stuff. Like Let's get everybody forward. We've got a free kick in the centre circle. And now we'll lump it in, see what happens. And he's just playing it for El Ghazi, bouncing it into the corner. Like, what? You know, like, Again, there's so much space because of how Everton are playing. You've got a dead ball. You've got free men. Roll the ball, take it back, and play football. Yeah, there's so there's so many things that our Brazilian centre midfielder does that you don't want them to be doing. I think he just got confused. I think he commonly gets confused about <laughs> about the fact that Villa are trying to they're trying to play the ball over the top, but they're only trying to do that when there's space there, Dougie. You don't have to just play it over the top if there's 10 Everton players back there. Get the ball and play it around. We're good at this. We'll pull Everton out of position. Their midfielders can't run. Let's exploit that. And the last one. Fabian Delph is 31. Jesus Christ. (laughs) I I gave Elmo a hard time for, like, not realizing he was only 33. I thought he was way older. Del, like, I was going to text you saying, this lad's still playing. And then I went on his Wikipedia page and he's 31. Like, he left Villa at 25. 
In fairness, he was fucking brilliant at that stage for six years at Villa. But I thought he was older. And he's only 31. And he, like, honestly, it speaks to some bad career moves. And it really is a lesson for people. Like, Delph was class at Villa. He earned his move to Man City. But and I know he got game time. Like, he, he got a bit of game time, mostly at left back. You know, my abiding memory of him at Man City is just being the outspoken sub in the dressing room from the documentary, the All or Nothing documentary. You know, like, just a guy who's not playing, who wants to tell everybody what to do. Like, nobody likes that guy. And that, that's who Delph became at City. And he's moved to Everton, and he's, he's not getting a game there. And he's only 31. And I'm I'm actually wondering, fuck, I didn't realize he's still playing football. Like, that should not be the case for him at 31, the way he was at 25 at Villa. Like, he should have pushed on. And he, he, he just gradually got... I don't know if he got worse, but his career got worse because of the decisions he made. Couldn't have happened to a nicer snake. <laughs> Let's leave that there. We've got some awards to give out. See you there. Important for everybody is just, just fucking relax. When I say that Jack Grealish is a bad touch, I still know that Jack Grealish is amazing. <laughs> This is football. This is most of the enjoyment of football. Watching it in real time and dissecting it and picking it apart and chatting about it. That's why we watch football. We're not involved. We're not involved with Aston Villa Football Club. It's fine. We can all have a reasonable discussion. We've invested so much of our lives, our time and our money into football and Aston Villa. We're allowed to complain about it. People make a mistake in thinking that you have to support everything that your club you support does. Don't. You know, I support Aston Villa, so if one of the players is shit, I don't want that player being there anymore, and I'll support him whenever he's playing. I'm not willing him to be shit. Yeah. But when he is shit after the game, it's okay to say that, because you might want to replace him. You're not going to get any better by just constantly saying, no, no, I think he's good enough. I think we should stick with Nyland. We're going to start with the Ronnie Rosenthal award. So lovely goal from Watkins. Lovely, lovely goal from El Ghazi, if Pickford could have done better. But some misses that we had throughout the game. Uh, the first one I have, actually I think these are just in chronological order. Kanza's ball over the top for Watkins. I just yeah, Pickford gets out well, but I just think Watkins is a bit slow in getting the shot away. I, mean, I know that the ball was bouncing, but... I think there was a chance there before he let it bounce again, and then by the time he is trying to hit it, like Pickford's right on top of him, and he can't do anything about it then. Yeah, I think Watkins is trying to decide what to do. He's having a, his head's on a swivel. He's looking around to figure out what his options are, but he doesn't have any Pickfords on his feet. I, I, I think I think Pickford did incredibly well for that. Bertrand Chirori does better trying to chip the keeper than he does with a one-on-one with the keeper. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like he. He's got all the time and space. He should have taken it around Pickford, I thought. I know he's left-footed, but he should have taken it around him and poked it in with his right foot. Instead, he just poked it straight off him with his left foot. And then and then he does way better then when he just tries to dink everybody into the top corner. Yeah, he's trying to be too clever with his finish, I think. He was trying to catch everybody by surprise, but Pickford again was just charging out, so it hit him. It was, like He didn't connect with it enough, but he hit it very early, and it was a nice idea. The attempt afterwards was brilliant. I think it was, you could see he just, like nobody else tries that. I don't, I don't think, I think that's 
that's only in Bertie Teague's locker to be to be pissing around like that. <laughs> and it was it was so unlucky. Third one, I've got five nominations. And this one actually has three nominations in the one, so I've actually got seven nominations. So Matt Cash's cross, Watkins' knee, you mentioned that. It's a good save, but like, does he have to take it in his knee? I know you said he's improvised well. We'll get, we'll get back to it because I think all three of these are a disaster. Watkins misses, then Berkeley clears it away, and then, and then El Ghazi hits the bar. I think all three people should be scoring there. And like you know, Berkeley tries to back heel it. If you look at look at it back, he tries to back heel it with his right foot, blocks it with his left foot, and gets rid of the danger. And it goes out to El Ghazi, who hits it off the bar. Which is getting it out of danger in that situation. Um, <laughs> I mean, Barkley, that's unbelievable. That's that's the type of thing a child does whenever, whenever, whenever a child sees an adult back heel the ball and they can't really figure out what's happened, and they're just, and they just start swinging their heel at the ball. It hits out like back heel shouldn't be hitting your standing foot. Where is your body, Barkley? How how is your leg not connected to your mind to understand what's going on in the world around you, including your own fucking body? You're in control of it. Back healing the ball off your own foot, Christ Almighty, it was dreadful. I I, I you're definitely you're definitely being harsh on Watkins. I think he improvises really well, and it's a brilliant save. He nearly scores. I mean, Pickford's going the wrong way, and he drops down and gets a strong hand to it. Uh, El Ghazi. I, I thought Agassi's was dreadful initially, but there's a lot there's a lot of people closing him down and he has to swivel and just spank it. Like he does have to turn on it as well. Like, yeah, he shouldn't be hitting it that hard and that high. Oh, I don't know. Fucking hell. I I want to give it to Barkley because he backheeled the ball off himself. <laughs> I I sort of do as well. I, I don't know. I said he should have scored. There were people around him. I, I still think enough power, enough conviction there. He... He might score. Yeah, like he might have got blocked, but it's just the fact that he blocked it himself made it exactly. Work. Like, yeah, like, let somebody else block it. There's people around. There's plenty of people that can do this for you, Berkeley. You don't have to do it for them. Uh, I've got two more nominations. One of them's not really a nomination, just worth mentioning. Berkeley hitting it off the post, lovely strike. In fairness, there might have been other options on. You know, maybe that's why it could be nominated. It's just a great strike. Hits the post. He's, he's unlucky. Yeah, like Ronnie Rosenthal missed an open net from the twelve. 12- <laughs> So twelve from the penalty spot. The fuck do you think this award is? <laughs> Just thought it was worth mentioning. And the last one is it's Ollie Watkins again, Liam. Um, <laughs> Berkeley plays the tail Gazi. Gazi's bad touch puts Ollie Watkins through, who's on his left, and he got a corner, but like the the flexion didn't take it anywhere. He was just lucky it hit off somebody. He pulled it wide. Yeah, yeah, it was bad. I mean, there were so many. Of the same chance created in that first half, one on ones, follow ups, shots from the edge of the box. It was just an absolutely hectic, hectic first half. And Villa were so good and created so many clear cut opportunities that if it wasn't for Amor, it would have been a really frustrating game to not win. I'm going to give it to Bertrand Ferrari, though. I think he's just got so much time and space and so many different possibilities of scoring. And he, he just he toe poked it off the keeper. Look, I guess we're different different calibers of players. I, I expect I expect people to not be back healing the ball off themselves. But like, yeah, whatever, whatever you want. You're you're the host. <laughs> the Peter Inkelman What the Fuck Award. Konza drilling the ball off Allen. 
just pings it off him 10 metres away and Everton break through. They don't score, thankfully, but not what we come to expect from our boy Kanza. No, no, and it's two games in a row where he's had a big, big howler that could have resulted in a goal. It's not it's not ideal after all the praise we've been giving him. Uh, I want to move off that quickly because I don't feel comfortable slagging Ezra Kanza. <laughs> we should probably up our slaggings of Ezra Kanza to stop those <laughs> bastards in the upper echelons of the league sniffing around. <laughs> yeah, right enough. John McGinn's lovely ball through for a Wooby. <laughs> Fuck me. Like, it's 10 metres. Like, he's trying to play it back to Barkley, presumably, but it's 10 metres behind him. Like, you know, I know we can criticise Barkley for being static and not being awake, but but even Barkley sort of looked around and said, is that for me? <laughs> <laughs> it couldn't be for me. Like, there must be somebody else there. But yeah, it was for a Wobie, as it turns out. It's dreadful. And, you know, if, if Ross Barkley is confused by the quality of a pass, you've really fucked up. <laughs> Tyrone Mings is lovely flick on for Richardson. <laughs> What a fucking game of football this was. <laughs> Mings is brilliant. Tonight he was absolutely super. We'll get to him in the Vima meter, but um, I don't know what had him coming across to the right-hand side. Maybe he was, because he helped out Konza a couple of times tonight. Um, but this time he comes across and <laughs> just tees up Richardson. Love, like, actually, he had no need to be there because Konza was there about to head a clear. And yeah, and it was comes in front of him and, and puts, puts Richardson through. And it was coming right on to Kansas' head. Charleston had just ran around. Richardson had run around the corner. He was he was gone. He wasn't challenging for the ball. It was like Mings that was challenging for the ball. And he completely mistimed it as well. It's like the big centre half coming over to be decisive, digging his mate out. And then he just decides, oh, maybe I shouldn't. And he jumps far too early, gets under the ball and just flicks it. Is he trying to play it to Martinez? Does he not know that Richardson's there? Why is he there? What the fuck was he doing? <laughs> Why was he there? Is, is the, I think that's the most important question. And then what the fuck was he doing? Like, it, no need to be there. And then what he did was ridiculous. I think that wins, but I've got one more nomination. And it's Douglas Louise producing his most Brazilian piece of skill yet in an Aston Villa shirt. But doing it on the sideline as he knocks the ball out of play. What the fuck? That was... That, like, I, I thought you weren't going to mention that and I was going to be unhappy to say the least. <laughs> he says he was, there was nobody near him. He's a centre midfielder. The ball's on the halfway line. He's on the sideline. And he just scissor kicks the ball <laughs> 50 metres into the air over <laughs> the line for a throw-in under no pressure. What in the name of God was he even trying to do? Never, like... Because I'm, I'm going to assume, even though I probably shouldn't at this stage with Douglas, Douglas Louise, I'm going to assume that's not what he was trying to do. <laughs> was he just trying to overhead kick the ball up the pitch in the general direction of Ollie Watkins? <laughs> Fuck me. Get the ball down. Get it moving. That's what we've been doing all game. Another example of that from him, of just not getting the ball moving. <laughs> you know, just... Oh, I don't know if he's overthinking things, or he's, but like, you know, maybe he was just seeing the success that Watkins was having, and like, we don't need him doing that. Like, we could have the Campbell on to do that. Conan, you know, Watkins, just... Watkins wasn't having any success controlling the ball in the fucking stands. <laughs> as bad as that was, I think Ming still wins because he just directly led to a massive chance. I think Richardson should be putting that away if I was doing an Everton podcast here, that would be part of the Ronnie Rossenthal award. Like, it's straight, straight through. He's got 
the whole right hand side of the, the net same at and he drags it about 20 meters wide uh, Richardson should be connecting with a ball for fuck's sake yeah, it was dreadful I mean Martinez is actually surprised by the effort he just kind of falls and just puts his hands away completely and watches it go out I'm not even did it go out for a throw in maybe it was it was dreadful so Douglas Louise escapes by the skin of his teeth the Tim Sherwood we played two number 10s and bamboozled them award I mentioned this at the top of the show, the, just overusing Ollie Watkins. Like this is this seems to be the first game where I, I mean overusing in a positive sense, like where where we're sickening him with ball, like the way we've been asking for all season. Give him the ball and give him some more. He doesn't tire, and it doesn't matter what t- sort of ball you're playing him, unless Douglas Louise is playing him into the stands. Like play him any type of pass inside the lines, and he'll make <laughs> something of it. You know, and this was the first game where it was like, get a forward, get a forward to him, and then everybody else will come into the game because of that. And like Everton couldn't cope with him. Like how many times were the balls not good and the Everton centre halves just sliced it out of play for a throw in because Watkins was like, you know, tearing in behind him or running the channels. And the balls, you know, they were they were dangerous enough, but they didn't need to panic so much. But because Watkins had them on toast, they they were panicking, and that's what he can do. And the decision, I don't know if it was a... I assume there were talkers about during the week, but it seemed to be a set, a marked change, like, you know, marked difference. Give Watkins the ball early and more often than we have been doing. Oh, of course it was a decision. Of course it was an instruction. And it's not the first time we've done it. We've we've exploited static teams before with Ollie Watkins' running off the ball. And Dean Smith mentioned this two games ago as well, where he was, he was annoyed that he didn't play the ball quickly and early enough to Ollie Watkins because, I mean, as Dean Smith said, they've got the best channel runner in the country. Get the fucking ball into the channels for him. He's he's going to run past those boys. Those boys don't know how to defend. Yeah. Get the ball to Ollie Watkins and whenever he's free, and he was free a lot tonight. Second one, and it's it's right to mention it because like we've been very critical like we we were critical um of this decision we like i'd predicted that he was going to play ross barkley this morning i think i was texting you and i was like i can't believe that this is happening he's going to he's going to start him again <laughs> couldn't believe he started in the last match didn't think he was great and i knew he was going to start again tonight and he of course he did and i wasn't happy i was like for, for catch yourself on like i thought this was another example of of Smith getting caught up in their romanticism that he might come good against his old club. But he was good. <laughs> he was really good. And I think Smith is vindicated in playing him tonight. I think he was. And and you'd wonder as well, coming back to it again, if, if Smith understood the midfield he was going to be faced with and the power that Ross Barkley has in him and the running ability and the dribbling ability, that that was just there. It was asking for Ross Barkley tonight. And then something that has been used to beat Dean Smith with a lot this season, and rightly so for, for the most part, but it paid off well tonight. The the late substitutions and the delay in substitutions. Like this is an example of when you don't make subs. Like when it's one one, I know it's frustrating. I was at talking about Jacob Ramsey just for the sake of changing things. But you're on top. Like you've been the better team, you've created the most chances. Mm. You're largely unbothered by them, really, apart from mistakes that you're making. And things are going well. And the worst thing to do, you know, is to just... Like, it's it's very disappointing for Keenan Davis. He looked disappointed tonight coming on. Like, and actually, I'd say he was disappointed because 
he's finally just got off the mark goal wise and now we're bringing down his goals to game ratio even further by throwing him on for two injury time minutes you know where it's like fuck's sake there's another like people are going to say you know it's one goal in 60 games or whatever it'll be um instead of 59 but like when you're on top of a team you don't need to change things really and like that proves it tonight like you know it's annoying sometimes when we don't make subs when we're going so badly but we were going really well tonight and there was no need to really to really change it by bringing davis on you would have had to move watkins you might have had to change the formation and that didn't need to be done yeah well exactly villa don't have any like for like replacements for any of the players that were on the pitch that's that's the problem and that is a big problem with aston villa and like I think we need to be clear about what a football manager's job is and we need to be clear-headed about the quality of this Aston Villa squad. I mean, a football manager has three fundamental jobs. They have to devise game plans and patterns of play to put their players in the position to score goals. Dean Smith does that. Villa consistently dominate games and create chances with that domination and they do it against teams with better players. Managers have to set their team up to prevent the other team from doing that, from scoring. And they have to get the balance right with this and their first job as well. But underpinning both of those, a manager has to get his players the confidence to carry out those game plans, give them the freedom to be creative within that overall framework. He has to motivate them to fucking work. He has to create a positive atmosphere. He has to be clear There has to be clarity with his vision and his instructions. I don't think anybody could ever accuse Villa of playing with fear. Nobody could ever accuse Villa's permanent players of not trying. Nobody could ever say that they don't look like they know what they're supposed to be doing out in the pitch. And the the idea that Dean Smith that Dean Smith shouldn't be Aston Villa's manager, which is which picks up pace anytime Villa get into a bit of trouble. And I think it's only born out of the fact that. He was Brentford manager up until he was 48. And people just can't accept that just maybe he wasn't picked up by a big club until Villa took over him. Those things can happen. Dean Smith is, is a brilliant manager who gets the best out of this incredibly limited squad. Villa's squad is so threadbare. When you go through the players that they have, Jack Grealish has missed, will have missed 42% of the season by the end of this season. Him and Kanza are the only players that would threaten getting on to the top six team. I think Dean Smith's doing a brilliant job and I just wish the the nonsense and the noise would stop until we at least see Aston Villa with a squad that should be competing for Europe because this squad is nowhere fucking near that. That's fair. <clears throat> like you, you can talk about the, the team that lined out against West Brom and when you do look at a black and white, like we're all guilty of thinking like this has been a great season. Um, things are going really well, but when you actually look at the lineup against West Brom, it's like, mm, is it that strong a team, really? Are we just sort of like, okay, once again, like Villa victims of their own success for the for the most part? Still think they could have been playing better along the way. Still think they should be picking up more points without Grealish. I know he's a big loss, but um, and we've had this chat before. Like, you know, uh, I still think a good manager would still be doing something with that squad or more than they have been doing without Grealish. Um, that's not me sort of saying, by the way, that I think another manager would be doing better. I think the overriding point is that, yeah, we should at least wait to see if there's any bit of decline in this project. 
and there's there's been no signs whatsoever of this this being in deceleration. Like it's it's all going forward, and uh, the pace of which it's been going forward might have halted a little bit towards the end of the season. But yeah, like let's see it now with a good squad or a better squad in the summer. And like there are a, 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 there's a need for a lot of signings. We'll we'll get into those actually in questions we can't answer. But it's so obvious that Villa need to need to bolster that squad and then then like you know if 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 Villa are still sitting in the bottom half of the table with a squad that we all think or we all agree should be in the top six, then you can start asking questions a bit more. Yeah, and, and like I've said before, like top half, bottom half of the table doesn't matter. There's there's three clear elements to the Premier League. There's the relegation fodder. There's Villa, Arsenal, Southampton, Leeds, Crystal Palace. And then there's the, the bigger teams then. They're, they're actually challenging because they've got squads that have been built over two or three years that are challenging for challenging for Europe. And it doesn't matter where you finish in that middle pile. It's just whether or not you can break out of that middle pile. Villa have broken out of the relegation teams. Now they're in the middle pile. It's The next step is breaking out of that. Finishing ninth. Or finishing 14th, it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. And the last one I have for the Tim Sherwood, we played two number 10s and bamboozled them. Award. <laughs> We're mentioning late subs there, but actually then making the decision to take off Bertrand Ferrari because <laughs> I saw him in the 85th minute try to flick the ball over an Everton player's head oh. in his own half. And I thought this this is not the time or place, mate. We're two one up. And then when I saw El Ghazi clear the ball in the ninetieth minute and actually connect him with it, I just thought, thank fuck Bertrand Trori is not here. <laughs> because if we had to take an El Ghazi off instead of Trori then, like you know where that clearance is going, it's going high and it's dropping back into <laughs> our own box. That attempted flick. Oh my god. And that is exactly the thing that leads to a goal whenever you're playing well. It's just a cock up from a fucking cock. Get that ball up the pit. What the fuck are you doing? It's the 90 or 85th minute. What are you flicking it over his head? Christ almighty. You're only 30 yards from your own fucking goals. <laughs> but I still think the decision to get Watkins the ball, give Watkins the ball. Like that's that's the winner here. It has to be. And like it, it's borne out in how well he played as well. Never mind how well Villa played. The Vyman meter going up. We've got a lot. We've got a lot. Tyrone Mings, I thought he was absolutely top notch tonight. I thought he was strong, decisive, like apart from that, the chance he created for Richardson. But outside of that, I thought he did everything right. It was brilliant. It was it was cleaning up for Target, he was cleaning up for Kanza boys who, who haven't needed minded in the last few weeks, but that's what you want then, the one time that they do need help, then Mings, your captain, is there to help. Um, he was imposing. I just thought he was good. He, he looked like a proper centre-half tonight. Yeah, man, Mings has that has that in his locker. Mings can very easily... If Mings didn't cause Villa dropping 15 points every fucking season, he would definitely be threatening the top six teams <laughs> as well. He's, he's, a, he's a brilliant player when he's when he's on it, and he was on it tonight. Going up, Ollie Watkins again. Um, going up, Ross Barkley. Just like we ever talked about him, but like he's he's been rock bottom probably recently. Um, going up tonight because he had a good performance, but also his attitude in terms of the the Vyman meter. He seemed he seemed more honest. He seemed to be doing the honest things well. 
and yeah, I think did he play the whole match? Like that's the first time in a long time that he he lasted the full ninety minutes, and didn't didn't look like he was going to cost us anything by way of stupid stupid chances for the opposition. And like I say, he dropped in at the right time in a defensive position, but also when we had the ball, and uh, he created chances. And that's that's all you want from him. That's all we want. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he had plummeted so far down the, the vimometer, he was still a puddle of his own blood and bones at the bottom of it at this stage. I mean, he's, start, he's starting to make a little splash back up after tonight's performance, but it's a long, long way to go, Ross. Going up, El Ghazi, just because I wanted him off the pitch and he ended up winning the game for us. Um, like he knew he could, like he knew he always could. And going up, Matt Cash for going forward. Well, great to see him back anyway. It's like, you know, we love Elmo, but it was an obvious step up having Matt Cash back defensively. Just the way he cuts out balls so well. That's how Mings is doing really well tonight as well. He intercepted a lot of balls. But um, this was the most threatening I've seen Matt Cash in attack. He obviously played that great ball for Watkins that he hit with his knee. We mentioned it. A couple of other, other nice balls in. Just looked lively, looked like he was up for getting up and down that right wing, and that's what I want to see more of. Yeah, he played every bit like England's sixth choice right back. He was <laughs> he, he was brilliant tonight. He was very good. He was he was a lot more adventurous than he normally is. But again, Villa were Villa were brilliant tonight, so it was it was hard for him not to be joining in, I think, in, at stages. Yeah, no, he was he was very, very good. And it's he's a he's a very easy lad to like as well. So it's, I always I'm always happy whenever Matt Cash plays well. And going up, actually, last one, Claret sucks. <laughs> <laughs> we gave him a hard time after the Brighton match. I said it made them look, it looked laboured and slow because of them. But they looked all right tonight and Villa played really well. So maybe it's not in the socks. There you go. Proved you fucking wrong again, didn't they? <laughs> going down, I only have one player. I've got, I've got, I've got fat, fat referees going down as well. Just ridiculous carry on. <laughs> and uh, and I've got Douglas Louise going down too. Like. Yeah, Douglas Douglas Louise was the only Villa player that let himself down tonight. Um, yeah, like I'm, and we, we've talked about it. He was he was sloppy again, and there was no need for it because Villa's movement, the fluidity of the players in front of Douglas Louise was absolutely spot on. People were running, they were making second runs, and the ball didn't come. There's no reason for a centre midfielder to play badly tonight. When I said earlier that he's overthinking things, like. Just too many times, he, he lost the ball in attack, you know, which again is not what you want from your holding midfielder. It just leaves you so wide open, but it's not what you want anyway when you're trying to create chances. And it's always because he seems to be, uh, he, he's overthinking it. That's what he's doing. Like, he, you see that one that he, Hank Ferrari plays for him and he's just always trying to let the ball roll. Like, that's 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 his thing. I'll... I'll not take the touch and I'll let it roll and that, that'll catch them out. Like that might work sometimes. But like not not when the team are camped at the edge of their box. You know, when they've got two banks of four back. You know, you letting the ball roll across your body just means somebody's going to come and take that ball. <laughs> it, you know, it might work when when a striker is manically closing you down in the hold and midfield role and you can just let it roll into that space and, and carry the ball out. But yeah, it's just just making the wrong decision. Like the, the opposite of Barkley, basically. Like sometimes you just need to take a touch or play it back or take a shot. Or, you know, just it was just slow in his thinking and made made bad decisions all night. 
Yeah, I don't think he plays the game or the team that's in front of him often enough. The start of that game, he, he didn't realise he was playing Everton and he was, yeah, you said it, he was just playing ball straight back into Tyrone Mings' feet when he was receiving the ball with his back to the Everton goal. It's like, Dougie, there's no one fucking near you. What are you doing? <laughs> Take a touch and turn around. There's the, it's fine. Have a look before the ball comes to you. Understand what's going on around you. Questions we can't answer, but probably will. Would you sign Ross Barkley? <laughs> God almighty, you're the most fickle arsehole I know. <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't sign Ross Barkley. I, mean, I think that should be fucking obvious. What, what if he played like that for the rest of the season? If he played like that for the rest of the season, I'd want to see I'd want to see our overall budget. <laughs> yeah. I want to know who we're not signing because we're signing him. I want to know what the cost is. And I want to know what the terms of his contract are. I don't want him getting fucking fat on a big <laughs> salary. Yeah, I want him I want him being hungry. I want a lot of clauses in there that if he plays well he gets extra money. Like Ross Barkley's got a long way to go for me to be trusting him. With a fucking five-year contract and a twenty million point transfer fee, not not that I'm going to be giving it to him. <laughs> it, it um, it could be too late because there's only five games left for Villa, and yeah, you said he got a long way to go. I I agree, and five games is not enough. I think to to just earn that trust to to sign him again. Like, look, if he played like that the whole time, I'd be delighted if he if he, he was a Villa player regularly but you know even if we did that for the next five games like that that's what we, we get six games then for the season maybe if you add it all up maybe 10 it's not a lot like you know it's not a lot for somebody who's going to cost you a lot of money and somebody who yeah will keep somebody else out of the team stop you from signing somebody else and ultimately might not work out and could just turn just as easily like we've seen yeah and, and that's it like that, that those are things you have to consider is who are we not getting if we are getting them what what is the overall budget? Are we not signing a defensive midfielder because we're spending the money on Ross Barkley? Then definitely not signing him. If we've got an infinite budget and we have that Ross Barkley, then yeah, definitely I'm happy to have him as one of the 18 players. Speaking of who we're signing, got a question in from the Qatar Lions on Twitter. Good Twitter account, check it out. Especially if you're in Qatar. <laughs> um, and if you do want to Hit us up on Twitter, the Villa Podcast. Who do you see as a realistic target? No, actually, no, forget about that. Let, let's talk specifically. So they've asked, should we sign Tam Abraham and Twan Zabi? And here's here's where I stand on those two. Like, because I think it's natural for people to think, well, we don't need a striker. Like we've we've got we've got Ollie Watkins, we've got the best striker in England. And we've got we've got Big Wesley back and Keenan Davis is scoring goals as well. Like it doesn't seem like Villa need a striker and it definitely doesn't seem like they need a centre half as well, because Kanz and Mings can be really great. But like, you don't want to fall into that trap of just not signing players because you think you've got players in those positions. Like just like if there's a good player, right, who's available and they want to join the team, get them in. Let them work it out. The good players, like the best players, will 
will rise and you, you'll get your team off the top of that. Like, you know, you don't, you don't need to sacrifice what you're doing because you suddenly have Tam Abraham in the squad. Like, wouldn't it be great to have Tam Abraham in the squad, though, and Watkins? Like, the the mistake, we, we always mention it. I don't know if we've mentioned it in this podcast before, but, you know, Liverpool fell into that trap for years just buying squad players because, you know, they felt like they needed a better squad. But the way to get a better squad is to buy players that will threaten your first team, and even if you're set in the first team. And it just gives you more options then as well. Like, e- e- even if, you know, Tam Abraham is then unlucky to miss out on a spot, then, like, you know, isn't it great to think that, Jesus, we could bring him on with Watkins? Or we can move Watkins out to the wing if we have to, you know, like, you suddenly have these other options. Twan Zabie comes in, let them figure it out. Whoever the best centre half is, they-, they will come to the fore. And, like, then suddenly you've got three really, really, really good centre halves. And we're talking about potentially playing a, a 5-3-2, a 3-5-2. Then you've got Abraham in the mix. <laughs> you know, like if there's a good player available, they want to come. Let's do it. That's that's my view on it. Yeah, they're two odd positions that I wouldn't be prioritizing. But Tammy Abraham's a fucking brilliant footballer, and that yeah, you're right. Let's be realistic about it. Spurs are a team that Villa should be targeting. And think think about the options that top teams have. This is Spurs. They're not even that fucking good. They've got Lo Celso, Ali, and Dombele. Son, Bale, Kane, Lamella, Bergwin, Mora. They're all fucking brilliant. Jesus. Villa have Watkins and Grealish. <laughs> yeah. And we're wondering about whether or not we should sign one more. Of course we fucking should. Get him in. Get it done. <laughs> Absolutely need to prioritise a defensive midfielder because that changes the ways Villa can play. But at the minute, we're just relying on Ollie Watkins not getting injured. That that's what we're currently relying on. Like that's that's a ludicrous, a ludicrous squad policy. You, you, that can't be your that can't be your approach to an older season. If Villa is serious, yes, sign Tam Abraham if he wants to come. Twinsaby, the, the numbers are being thrown around for Twinsaby is seven million. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ, get that done. <laughs> what you you're willing to risk Konza getting injured and Bjorn Engels coming on? <laughs> is that a fucking joke? That like actually. That's a perfect point because I could not believe. Like you, so, you sort of think that you've moved on as a club, and then Matt Hargett's down injured there tonight, and they're talking about Neil Taylor. And it's like, is this guy still fucking on the bench? Neil Taylor is the next man they come in if one of her players gets injured. Like that, <laughs> like, like, need a fucking left back as well, by the way. <laughs> we need eleven new players. And, and, and I'm being serious. Villa could sign eleven new players over a couple of transfer windows, I know that, that would be absolutely fine. And they, they definitely should be targeting it yeah. because there's a lot of players that, that need to be replaced, need to be moved on. If Villa are serious about this, like, and where Al Ghazi's not getting in the Man United squad. No. Like, he scored a good goal tonight, but, you know, we, we have to think bigger than that. Somebody, or we, we got contacted to do a, do a piece with the Irish Post. It was by Conor Hurrahan. And like, every Villa fan loves Conor Hurrahan. Like, we don't have a bad word to say about him. He's genuinely been so important for Villa. But the question is, yeah, would he would he get in the Spurs squad? Would he be threatening any of those top six teams? And like, if that's where Villa genuinely want to go next season, then it's not it's not only Hurrahan whose threat in the squad is threatened, or who sorry, whose position in the squad is threatened, it's the people here in the first team right now whose positions should be threatened. Um, and yeah, and the way to do that is the same quality. Look, we'll have um, 
we'll have a proper transfer show towards the end of the season when maybe think about proper targets and you know, defensive midfielders and, and whoever else we should be looking at. But um, but it's probably one for another day tonight. <laughs> tonight was a big win we're back ahead of Leeds we're back in the top 10 I know you say you don't care about 9th or 14th but I think 9th was a lot better than 11th we're ahead of Arsenal and Leeds closing in on Everton not really we're 4 points behind them but we still have to play them again and just finally before we go I want to congratulate Mr. Josie Mourinho big move got a big big signing joining the Sun for the Euros and he's also joining the talk sport team so uh, that's that's just great for him. Like how how the mighty have fallen, you know. Don't ever let a Spurs fan tell you that Daniel Levy is shrewd and is great for the club. And you just always have to remember that Daniel Levy got rid of Pochettino to bring in Josie Mourinho, whose next job is to go to the Sun. That's Daniel <laughs> Levy, and that's Spurs, and that's who we're trying to catch. <laughs> Fuck me. Get me Twanzebi and Tammy. Let's do it. Enjoy this one. We deserve it. See you later.